This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. have a really cool episode for you today on fourth down math that I think folks are going to really like in some way uh, and really wonder about in other ways. But we have a great guest for you. It's Ryan Brill, who is a PhD student at the University of Pennsylvania and working on his PhD in what, what are you talking, applied math or? Uh... Technically applied math, yes. Okay. Uh, is, is there any machine learning component to what you're doing, by the way? I, I, I had, do have a question related to that as well. Yeah, uh, machine learning, statistics, applied math, and sports. Okay, outstanding. Ryan wrote a great paper recently about um, why teams still don't have enough information after a bajillion years of football, you know, 104, uh, in terms of why they can go for it or when they should, should optimally go for it on fourth down. Ryan, t- talk a little bit about your paper. Sure. So there, there's a, I want to say this is math and philosophy, but let's, let's break it down. So you have, let's say 15 years of football history, the last 15 years, and that's, let's say 500,000 plus plays. And you think, wow, that's so much data. That's so much information. I can use this and learn from the data win probability. So from yard line, down, distance, time remaining, team quality, all these variables, I can estimate from recorded history win probability at that game state. And you think, and a lot of people might look at the amount of data and say, wow, we have so much football history. I can actually fit a really accurate estimate of win probability. But the question that one of the questions that me and my advisor asked is just how accurate really are your estimates of win probability? Okay, so I've I've got a question for you right away from my own actuarial background. One of the things you have to do a lot of times is group data when sample sizes are small. And so we, we do some bucketing with that kind of thing. Yes. So you just mentioned four or five factors that I can see even in 500,000 plays, you're going to get down to just a handful of times that they've occurred over the year, particularly if you're including something like time on the clock and not bucketing it fairly broadly. Correct. So I'm glad you said the word bucket because when you first are teaching, you know, modeling, uh, one of the common techniques has just been an average. So what that means is if you want to know a quantity or yeah, so bin, so take all the plays at a certain time remaining at a certain team strength at a certain yard line. But what you realize is with all these variables, you don't have enough data to bin an average 
because you're only going to have two or three plays in a bin. So that's exactly where models come in. So a machine learning model will um, say, let's share information across plays. So Yardline 51, that's kind of similar to Yardline 49, and it's less similar than Yardline 46 and less similar than Yardline 43, et cetera. But how can we sort of blend all the information across all the plays in a smart way? That's what modeling and machine learning is trying to do. Okay, and so your your buckets, they might use a span of time rather than 31 seconds exactly left. You might go from you know 35 to 27 or whatever it would be. Yeah, exactly. Or you can think of sort of like a weighted nearest neighbor, which means depending on how, quote, near you, you are, your game state is to another neighbor, you're going to upweight those plays in your estimate. So what that means uh, is gotcha. like yard line 51 with two minutes to go is su- pretty similar to yard line 49 with three minutes to go. So you're going to, in your estimate for those game states, you're going to use that information more than the information from on the one yard line with 10 minutes to go. Okay. So, Make, makes complete yeah. sense. And I'm sorry to, to, to take you off the rails here. Please continue to go ahead with, uh, with your uh, paper here. Okay, great. So, Given the history of football, you can use machine learning to estimate win probability as a function of all the variables, yard line down distance, time remaining, team quality, timeouts, etc. Right? Okay, so what have people done in the fourth down space? They've estimated win probability from the history of football, and they've said, okay, we have our estimate. Let's make the fourth down decision that maximizes our win probability. So I've estimated at this game state for going for it to be better, aka to lead to higher win probability and field goal. Therefore, we should go. Okay. That's what people do. So the Ben Baldwin bot, which shows up on on every Sunday for a bunch of fourth down decisions, takes you through exactly that kind of decision making process. And uh, do you know anything? Is that model constructed in a way that would be? Uh, similar to the to the to the old time models. Old time models is probably a bad way to put it to, to the to the traditional way of doing it. Okay, so there are broadly two different types of win probability models. Mm-hmm. One is called a probabilistic state space model, which are the old time models from twenty mm-hmm. years ago. So the state space model says I'm going to mathematically encode football as a series of transitions between game states. Mm -hmm. So what that means is, uh, let's say your current game state is I'm at this yard line with this time to go. And a play is going to occur. One team is going to gain a certain amount of yards, and that's going to lead to the next game state. So maybe you'll gain a certain amount of yards, lose some time. But you have to... you. So in the state-space models, you're estimating those transition probabilities... And then sort of, so this is like a bottom-up approach. You're estimating the probability of going from one game state to another and then simulating, let's say, a million games and getting win probability from that. Okay. That's the old-time version. The new version of win probability has arisen because machine learning has just taken off. And what that what that does is let's just take the entire history of football and fit a machine learning model to learn win probability from the win-loss outcomes of the game. Okay. So Baldwin's model is the latter version, the new ver- the machine learning version. Yeah. Okay. Now, 
is it Locke and Nettleton, if I have it correct, that have the node-based mm -hmm. model? Are these node-based or these, um, uh, or, or that's yet another pathway down that you would would uh, consider? So Locke and Nettleton's is a machine learning model just like Baldwin's, but it's a different algorithm. So Locke and Nettleton have random forest. Baldwin does an XG boost, but it's basically doing the same thing. Okay. All right. Very, very good. Okay. So, and there are a lot of actuaries I've met over the years who uh, were baseball fans and, and, and it, it very, baseball is very encodable in the way we're talking about into a state-space relationship. We have 25 natural uh, states that occur with base and out situations. And it's, it's much more natural. I've always thought like baseball and bowling were kind of two sports where you could, you could uh, look at these kind of models and they would make sense, but uh, football much harder with, with all of the potential state, dis uh, state descriptors that you would have. And then, you know, all the massive number of states that would accrue from that. Exactly. So baseball, bowling, and I want to throw a beer pong in there. Beer pong. Uh, okay, there you it's go. It's very easy <laughs> to encode the states and to to get the transition probabilities between those states. And I guess it's it's actually easier because there are much fewer states in those games. So, uh, for example, in baseball, exactly, you have um, what are the possible base configurations? Base is loaded. You have eight. Yeah, there's eight. There's two men on in three different ways, one man on in three ways, and no men on. And you multiply that with zero, one, or two, three outs, which gives you 24 base states. So there's only 24 state. states in baseball. Artificial right. state of end of inning. And end of inning, 25. So you only have 25 states. It's pretty easy to estimate those transition probabilities. In football, you have a bajillion states. You have 100 yard lines times... Uh, th 3,600 seconds times, um, uh, let's say point spread is your team quality measure, mm -hmm. you know, 50 possible point spreads or whatever. Weather could be other things. You Weather. Would add to that. Yeah. It's just blowing up. So it's much harder to do a state-based model in football for the, for that reason. Right. All right. And even at the time when I was first getting into computers and first getting into Markov chains at the same time in about the mid 1980s, multiplying together 25 by 25 matrices was a load on the machine, particularly if you wanted to do it a number of times. And fortunately, our computers are keeping up with our kids today in terms of being able to, to the new theories that come with it. Yes. But we'll see about Moore's law is that the uh, the efficiency of the hardware might be slowing down for the first time ever, but hmm. we'll see how that pans out. But. All right. All right. Well, very cool. Let's, let's keep going here then with, with the, the notion. I know you, you, you really want to get to the kind of the conclusion of the paper and what you're, you're finding here. Sure. So people like Baldwin will take a machine learning model and estimate win probability from the history of football, use those estimates to say go is better, but how good are those estimates? That's the question. And what does it mean for an estimate to be good? That's another question. So uh, one way to view what it means for an estimate to be good is assume first that there is a true model or a true win probability function underlying all of football. Let's pretend from this true win probability function, you can simulate the entire history of football. And that are, those are the, the games that we observe on Sunday, right? Then from those games, from the history, 
we want to estimate wind probability, our estimates are good if we can recover the truth that generated the observed data. Right. So what's the problem with that is we don't know the true wind probability function. So how mm -hmm. could we possibly know whether our estimates are good? So I'm going to say there's going to be two things we can do to understand how good our estimates are. So the first is going to be something like accuracy. So you take your estimates, your wind probability estimates, and you can actually compare that to the one zero win loss outcomes of games. And you can ask how predictive are our estimates. The problem with that is if you're going to be predicting a one zero win loss outcome with something like a 0.65 win probability, your estimate, it, it's going to be, it's going to be bad in absolute because, you know, 0.65 is far from the number one. A, a better question is like, how good are your estimates? How accurate are your estimates, say, relative to a casino or relative to some other model? So you can use accuracy to say which model is better or more accurate. But accuracy is not really enough to tell us sort of on an absolute scale how good our estimate is. So. Okay. So, so I think you said some stuff in the production meeting that I want to tie back to and want to make sure that, that I'm understanding correctly. So you, yeah. you're trying to understand you, Ben Baldwin's giving you a, a, a number coming out of his bot that says uh, this is a strong go for it plus 3.4% or whatever. He's, he, he's saying that's it increases your win probability by that amount. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, well, maybe that's true. But the other thing you said in the production meeting that I haven't heard you introduce yet yeah. is, do I really have enough data to, to make that judgment? Correct. Okay, so perfect transition. So even if a, mo a model can be accurate relative to another model, but take your best possible model, and let's just pretend right now that Baldwin is the best win probability model. How good is that in absolute sense for making decisions? So uh, this is sort of where confidence intervals come in. So, and the interpretation of a confidence interval, the definition is very technical and people sort of mess it up. So I'm going to be just careful in how I'm saying it. But let's say your estimate of the win probability, if you go for it, is 0.65. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I want to put a confidence interval around that estimate, which sort of says, here's what a confidence interval says. It says, imagine a hundred different, okay, sorry, I'm going to talk about a 95% confidence interval. Imagine a hundred different football parallel universes in which we re-simulated, or yeah, in which the entire history of football was, re, was redone mm -hmm. in each universe. So in each of these hundred parallel universes, all of the conditions at the start of the game are the same. We have the same players same matchups, same weather, but we're just going to rerun the games. And under the assumption that win probability, that there is a true win probability, right? So at the start of the game, let's say the Ravens have a 0.7 win probability against the Bengals, right? Under the assumption that there is a true win probability, you're going to see in some universes, the Ravens are going to win that game. And in some universes they're going to lose, 
But the point is, in these 100 different parallel universes, you're going to see different win-loss outcomes in all of the games across mm -hmm. football history. Okay. Then, in each of those 100 parallel universes, you are going to estimate win probability using Ben Baldwin's model. And you, because the win-loss outcomes are different, you're going to get 100 different win probability models and therefore 100 different win probability estimates of the win probability if you go for it. Yes. So also it's going to increase the data you have by a hundredfold in terms of your your setting your confidence intervals because you've re-simulated those games and actual football only had one time to go through football history, but you have a hundred. Mm, okay. So yes. Uh, but actually before I'm before talking about even what I did, I'm just ex trying to explain confidence intervals. So in this in this fantasy world where we actually can simulate, where we can rerun football history a hundred different times in that fantasy world, uh, the confidence, if, if I have a valid 90, 95% confidence interval, what that means is across the a hundred parallel universes, the true win probability is going to lie in the interval 95 out of a hundred times. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. That is what the confidence interval is saying. So confidence interval in 95 out of the 100 universes, the true win probability will be in the interval. Okay. So this confidence interval is how we're going to get a notion of how good our win probability estimates are. So the fascinating thing is we created a method to give valid confidence intervals on win probability estimates. We can talk about how that method works in a bit. It's based off this thing called the bootstrap. But what we found is that win probability confidence intervals for football are really wide. That's the punchline. They're really big. So what that means is if I tell you the, my estimate of win probability is 0.65 on this play, what that's really saying is it's like it could be a 0.61 comma 0.69. Okay. Or in other words... The true and the, win the point six one to point six nine is ninety five percent of the time it fits in between sixty one and sixty nine percent. 
Ah, so the interpretation is if you, uh, the interpretation is it's if you, uh, the yeah, I guess you can just think of it as the true value of win probability is somewhere between 0.61 and 0.69 with high likelihood. But what it's actually saying is if you re-simulated the entire history of football a hundred times and gave me a hundred confidence intervals, 95 of those a hundred times, the confidence interval will contain the truth. Wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's very abstract. Very that's abstract. A, yes. Okay. All right. It's still cool, but very abstract. Yeah. So I, I, a couple of things here that, that I had questions about. Um, and I, I, why don't you take us down to, first of all, John Harbaugh, because I think that's part of the yes. thing. Where people have a Raven slant. They want to hear about that. And then I have two questions to, to come back to that might not be related to your win probability model, but I think maybe are unanswered questions in terms of um, – uh, you know, the history of win probability models. Okay. So take us through to the, the, the next set. I see you've got other people there, if that's okay. Go, yeah. Please, uh, Sorry about continue. that. Um, While you're looking okay. this up, if I could ask you, please, please be careful not to bang on the table. I, you're a gesticulator and you're a very, uh, you know, obviously thinking as you do this, but the less yeah. banging is good. Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, all right. So here I have a chart. Uh, Ranking coaches by fourth down decision-making. Uh, okay, so for all plays from 2018 to 2022, right, on each play, our win probability model gives you the best estimate of what you should do. And for some of the estimates, our confidence interval method tells us when we can trust our estimates in a sense. So on all the plays where we could trust those estimates, we have computed the proportion of the fourth down play calls that the coaches have made correctly in the last five years. Okay. And what we see is John Harbaugh is at the top of the list. And so what that means is when it's pretty obvious that you should be going for it, John Harbaugh is going for it. So that's, Reassuring. Like re- about 88% of the time as I read that chart, he's sixth on the chart and makes the correct decision 88% of the time based on your modeling, which this is in the in the highly likely category or in one of the other categories. Yeah, highly confident. Highly confident. Okay. So that's when it's when it's obvious. Okay. And um and it, another AFC North team, Mike Tomlin, who's often criticized for not being aggressive enough on fourth down. I see him down kind of two thirds of the way down the chart. Oh, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. At about 0.8%. So, so he's th- missing a lot of obvious decisions. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's fascinating in and of itself. Um, I think that the, the rest of the math of this may be too abstract for people to clue in on. If you're one of the many STEM people who listen to this pod and you'd like to get a copy of Ryan's paper, it's out there. Look for Brian Brill fourth down. And if you, if you know how to do this, you can find this fairly easily. Uh, but it's, but it's some, it's some great reading and, uh, and I'd highly recommend it. I have two questions to ask as it relates to this and potentially unanswered questions about fourth down decision-making in general. And the first is, 
it seemed to me that machine learning models would be particularly well-suited to improving coaches' decision-making as you re-simulated seasons. So um, one of the things about looking at the past you know, 15 years of football or whatever is that you see from your chart that a lot of coaches haven't been making the right decisions. But once perfect information is out there and they start to get more perfected at making choices of that type, your machine learning model should actually change the history of football uh, or the, the odds of doing things to, 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 so that coaches are more clever. So, you know, are you really in, when you're making a decision about fourth down, are you really considering currently in the model bad decisions that have been made over the last 15 years as part of your expectations of what your opponent is doing to you? Yeah. So it's a great point. If you estimate win probability and then, tell people to make decisions based on that. If you change their decision-making behavior, win probability is going to change. So no, we do not, first of all, no one accounts for this, including us. And especially the models that just take the entire history of football and learn win probability from that. Mm -hmm. Those models fundamentally cannot account for this because it's purely memorizing past information. The other type of models, state-based models, since you're actually encoding game state Mm -hmm. transitions, you can account for that by saying, okay, if it's a fourth and one, let's just increase the probability of a successful conversion of a fourth and one. And, and that can change the win probability. Based on that, the hard part is, is it actually is still difficult to estimate the conversion probability and errors and those can propagate through the entire win probability model. So okay. it's a different set of difficulties. Okay. So, so problems there. But anyway, that was something that, I, you know, not really knowing machine learning. And, and that's one thing I mentioned to you in the production meeting is basically all the interns I ever hired would come in with these, you know, really much greater knowledge. Like PCA is not something I learned in school. PCA, you probably take for granted in terms of if it's called principal component analysis. It, you're finding the best non-overlapping data to um, uh, estimate something from a, from a number of variables, okay, and, and one there's a, I'll try and explain it, and then Ryan, you correct me if, if I'm wrong because um, sure. one of the one of the issues with of having like an n factor model of any sort is that you may be collecting overlapping information that tells you the same thing in two different variables, and so PCA tries to say what's my best set of non overlapping variables that will give me the most information without creating unreasonable um, uh, expectations from variables which are telling you the same thing and you're then multiplying the effect of together. Yeah, we, we could have a whole podcast on just PCA, but that I think everything you said is correct with the caveat of you have to add the word linear. So okay. PCA is what we call the best linear autoencoder. Autoencoder. Okay. So what that means is if you have a really complicated um, mathematical space of points and you wanted to compress that, for example, an image, and you want to compress the image into uh, an image of a specified smaller size. The best way to compress your image in a linear fashion is to use PCA. Okay. Or yeah, it's, or like which parts of the data are best explaining your data yep. in a linear way. Exactly. All right. Well, fantastic. The other one, and I don't know that I've seen this in any model so far, 
is, and I thought yours might have the answer to this, but I think we, we determined from your production meeting, maybe it's not, is the notion of people being rational mean variance analyzers. And that's, a, that's an underlying uh, element of the capital assets pricing model, which some people will be familiar with. And, and frankly, a whole lot of things in real life, like the reason you buy insurance, the reason you do it is, is because you, you, you want you to be your friend and Sigma is your enemy. Um, so your expected value, you will take a slight hit to expected value to reduce variance. And that's something I haven't seen applied to fourth down in any of the things that are going on here. You have a decision to make. Um, oftentimes, um, you know, variance is ignored. And I think it's critically important for the better team not to have the number of plays that the game is decided by reduced in number. So you don't you don't want to have you know you want to have sixty five where you have a pretty good advantage instead of five plays decided five fourth and one plays where you might have a, a you know a pretty good advantage on but you're also you know allowing it to be decided on only five five plays against an inferior team so that's that's kind of where I'm coming from that have you seen that sort of thought go into um, models that are that are out there Sure so I think there's two separate threads. In that question, the first is, should team quality impact decision making? Mm -hmm. So should decision making really be different for good teams versus bad teams? And absolutely, yes. And so in our model, we use point spread as a measure of team quality because it contains a lot of information and the point spread is pretty good. So one of the things we found is that for underdogs, especially early in games, the model was telling us that underdogs should maybe be a little more aggressive than we previously thought. And maybe the thinking is if you're an underdog who happened to make it to the 20 yard line in the red zone early in the game, maybe you should take your chance at high points while you can, because if you, if you want higher win probability and you want to beat a good team, you have to be able to score more points, I guess. So that's one of the threads is just put team quality into your model. Mm -hmm. The other thing you brought up is should your objective function be maximizing something like win probability or expected points, or should it be minimizing or maximizing some tail outcome? So something like the probability that we get blown out is really small or, or, or just something, some, an objective function, which takes into account how risk averse you should be. Uh, I guess I didn't phrase it right, but the real question is, do you put team quality into the model or do you put your risk averseness in the objective function? Okay. The thing you're maximizing, I guess that's, that's a valid question. I, I personally believe you, the objective function needs to be win probability all the time because that's ultimately the fundamental goal of the game sure. is, to, is to win. But there are arguments for adding more risk averseness terms in the object function. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm all for it being about win probability all the time is the is the thing. But I wonder if you don't actually reduce your win probability by having by taking making decisions that have a higher variance 
when you're the better team. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying you would okay. ever turn down a you know a highly likely you know or, or a highly confident fourth down opportunity. I mean, maybe maybe never. Um, but I'm, I'm saying on the ones where the Ben Baldwin bot is saying it's plus one percent, but you've got a variance of thirty-seven percent or something. I, I, I all of a sudden I don't want that one if I'm the better team because I'm heaping my chance to win this game into one play as opposed to running it out uh, over all of them. I see. So yeah. it's almost like maximize win probability subject to the variance in win probability yeah. is not too large yeah. yeah, for a better team. That makes sense. So actually in my app, uh, I have this fourth down app. You input the game state. It'll tell you what to do. Mathematically, we have a column that we added called variance of win probability, or actually standard deviation of win probability. So, uh, yeah, what, what we actually find is that on the go for it plays, it tends to have a much wider standard deviation of win probability because, oh, if you succeed, then getting a plus seven, a touchdown, is still very much within reach. But if you turn it over, it's, it's the opposite. So it's the swing of the plus seven for your touchdown and a minus seven for their touchdown that leads to a high variance. It sounds like you're denominating that in expected points, but I guess you could also denominate that in expected wins from that. Exactly. Either way. Okay. Ryan, fantastic stuff. So first of all, tell people where they can find that app of yours. I think, I think there'd be people who really love to look at that. Ah, so the app is still private on my computer because well, we were thinking of trying to sell it, but honestly, I, I'm not sure how much monetary value it has. Uh, so maybe I'll release it in the coming months. Okay. That being said, enough. the paper, I also apologize that the paper right now is 58 pages. And I've been told by so many people to cut it into two because there's really two broad themes. So by Martin Luther King Day, I will have cut it into two and the writing will be a lot better. So I just okay. want to say that. Yeah. All right. Very good. Ryan. Uh, exceptionally good. I think you do a very good job of explaining things in terms people can understand. I'm sure that's going to lead you to, to tremendous career success with this. Uh, tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Sure. So you can find me on Twitter at Ryan Brill underscore, or if you can email me, if you find my website. All right. All right. Out- outstanding. Uh other folks out there, if you like coming on Film Study Short, you don't have to have an idea like Ryan's necessarily, but I'm interested in whatever you have, whether it's technical, uh, whether you want to talk about the Ravens and something they ought to do at wide receiver or anything else that, that you're passionate about. I'm trying to meet new people, particularly on the bye week. Uh, this is a great opportunity to get these shorts done and uh, would like to talk to some more folks. Ryan, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.